Thank you for tuning into the Park Hills podcast. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit more extensively about the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. We also want to remind you of the resources that we have. You can go back and listen to the messages again or look at the blog post, whatever uh, you want to find or whatever you want to learn more about at parkhillschurch.com. Today, we're, we're going to look a little bit more extensively at the churches that are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3. And one of the key things about understanding Scripture is always context and understanding uh, what the author's intent was for the original audience. And that helps us understand, again, how we even apply it for ourselves. And I think one of the key things is understanding that whole culture in that time, especially the culture of, uh, of Hellenism. And maybe you remember from a, a year and a half ago or so when we were in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, there was an issue with the Hellenistic Jews not being taken care of as well as the Jewish Jews, if you will. Now, the Hellenistic ones were just ones that had carried in some of the Greek culture, and so they were treated kind of second. And and that Hellenistic culture plays a, a big role in, in these churches, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, I mean, the understanding of Revelation, partly you have to understand what we call Hellenism, and and the word that we probably hear used a lot is the Greco-Roman world, right? Mm-hmm. So Greco coming from the Greek, Rome, Roman obviously tied to the, the the empire of Rome, because the Greeks were the first one to sort of set up this empire, and then later on the Romans sort of just followed in their footsteps and made it a bigger, better version of that. So when we look at Hellenism, the, the word really comes from what we, it's the word we use to describe the Greek worldview. And so those Hellenistic Jews would be individuals who have sort of bought into the idea of Hellenism. And Alexander the Great is the one that pretty much brings Hellenism to the rest of the world. He's a great military leader. He's a phenomenal king, just a great tactician, both in economics and also just in the way that he led the battles. And, but he was also a philosopher. He was actually tutored by Aristotle. And so he took some of what Aristotle had taught him, and he decides to use this. And he uses this all throughout the world. He's actually undefeated in battle. He never lost a battle. Uh, he died a really young age, which is weird. But other than that, I mean, the guy just... He united the world all the way from Greece to Persia and then down into Egypt. So if you were to look at a map of Hellenism, uh, and I'm sure we'll throw one of those in the show notes, you'll get a feel just for how extensive this guy's thing was, yeah. and the, the, the whole empire and how amazing it was. So some of the things that, that Hellenism did or some of the things that, that Alexander the Great did as he spread Hellenism is he spread language, philosophy. He built tons of schools and libraries. He was a, a planner. He built towns and actually redesigned cities and, and that kind of thing. But he also promoted art. You'll see a number of pictures that, or, you know, um, of, of the statues of him throughout the world that have been kind of carved of Alexander the Great. And here's the ethic of the Greco-Roman world, uh, the ethic of, of Hellenism itself. First off, we want to eliminate all of the pains from our life. Isn't that nice? Oh, yeah. so great. Second, we want to discern which one of the pleasures that we're chasing are the best pleasures to chase. 
<laughs> oh. wouldn't want to waste our time on the secondary players. Yeah, we get to waste as much time as we want. Which one of the ones are we going to waste time on the most? And then lastly, the idea was Hellenism was, was truly chasing which virtues are the right virtues for us to follow. Hmm. Now, as you hear those three things, if you start to think, man, that sounds a little bit like our culture that we're growing in. We're going to get to that in just a second, yeah. but that's kind of the idea. So in order to get there, in order to eliminate some of the pains of our life, in order to discern which pleasures are best, which in order to discern what virtues are correct and which ones aren't, such as is bravery a virtue that we want to chase or is cowardism, you know, obviously cowardism isn't really a virtue, but which one are we going to chase? What they would do is they, they promoted four major tenets of their society or of their culture into each of the places they went. So the first one they did was they promoted health care. Uh, they wanted doctors. They wanted sewer systems. They wanted hygiene. There's some crazy stuff that you'll see. I mean, it, all throughout the, the Greco-Roman world that you'll think, man, that seems really modern. Yeah, they kind of set the system in place for us of what health care could look like. And Alexander care, like. I think is what they call it. <laughs> That's right. And uh, promoting education was the second one. They wanted a school system in every single town to be built. And there you would study mathematics, you study geography, you study philosophy, and those things would develop people to think the way they wanted everyone to think. Third, they wanted to promote art and culture. They believed in building massive, beautiful structures that everybody would want to look at. And then lastly, they really wanted to promote, promote sports and entertainment. So every major city had a theater, had multiple opportunities for games, whether that's like a, you know, a hippodrome, which would be sort of like a, a long oval-shaped arena that allowed people to race around in circles in a chariot or whatever. They would just create all these games. So that was really the idea of the Greco, uh, of, you know, the Greco idea or the Hellenism, Hellenistic idea. And the Romans then pick this up and they just run with it. And you went to Rome, right? And so you saw some of this. Yeah, going and especially even seeing the the Roman Colosseum. I mean, you get this idea. And then to know that that really goes back to Alexander is is fascinating. And really, his effects uh, still uh, permeate today. And you're talking about America being connected to this ideal. I think of how, the, how many commercials are related to some sort of a drug that's going to help us tolerate life better or be able to handle pain or... If we aren't a pleasure-based society, I don't know what we are, you know, and this whole idea of even right virtues is certainly coming to the surface right now with all of this uh, issues related to even COVID-19 and all the racial issues, too, are going, okay, now what's the right way to do it? How do we do this? And, uh, again, it's it's still not solved, is it? No, and in our society, one of the things we struggle with is we aren't really a virtuous society. At least I wouldn't consider us super virtuous. So we struggle with what is the center? What are we trying to aim for? So some might say we're a society that's aiming toward love. Well, then if you believe that love is the most important thing, and then there's another part of the society that says this isn't the way we should live or this is the way we should live, then you wouldn't feel that that's loving and you would feel attacked and it becomes this massive war over which virtue is right. How are we going to chase pleasure? Which pleasures are the most important ones? And and you see this all throughout our – think of all of our major cities – I think if you were to drive through America and like look around, cities are marked by hospitals, right? They're marked by universities. They are marked by uh, stadiums. Yep, these massive stadiums and museums, right? I mean, if you go, think of Chicago, when I think of Chicago, what defines Chicago for me is Wrigley Field, probably Rush Hospital, right? Uh, I, I think of the the History Museum or the Art Institute, and then I think of just crazy 
crazy universities that are super wealthy, have a ton of stuff, and you go there to learn a ton of stuff. Like we don't have great universities here in Freeport, Illinois. That, that's true. We have a college, which is great. It's a community college. And I'm not knocking Highland, but I'm just saying like no one comes to Freeport for Highland per se. They might come to play basketball for Highland, but that's a totally different thing. And so when you think about great cities all throughout the ancient world, this is what defined those cities. And so I had a chance to go to Bet She'an, which is probably a lot like Rome. The difference is Bet She'an is actually in Israel. And uh, in Israel, they had a Greek city that they built. And as we walked in, there were storefronts everywhere and massive columns, marble columns that they had built to make all these storefronts look beautiful and amazing. And then you turn the corner and the city is acre upon acre upon acre. And there's a massive bathhouse, right, where you'd go and you would wash yourself off. And their toilet system was – it didn't have flushers, but it was just about as close. It had running water that ran down and you just – you know, went into the running water and it washed away right next to that bathhouse. Just across the street is a massive amphitheater where they had a theater set up where you could come and watch these amazing dramas that were played out and stuff. So you walk through the city and you just think, man, this is like the best of the best of the best. And it's surprising. You'd expect it in Rome. You'd expect it in Athens. You'd expect it wherever. But the fact that it's in Israel, right next to the Jordan river, uh, in it's very on the very edge of Galilee, and you go, whoa, this does not belong here. But that's the ancient world. That's what, that's what Alexander the Great brought into the world. And so when you look at these churches in Revelation, that's the world they're living in. Every one of these cities would have had probably a theater. Every one of these cities would have had some type of hospital system set up. Every one of these cities would have had various ways to, to promote hygiene and promote education and all these kind of things. And so when you're reading these seven churches and you go, man, they're struggling with a lot of things that sound very familiar Part of that is what we just said a little bit ago. America, whether you realize it or not, if you, the founding fathers were very influenced by Greek and Roman culture. Yeah, culture culture affects how faith is played out because mm-hmm. culture is so strong in how we, we act and think and operate. And so we often even look at scripture through a lens of our culture and it affects that. And that's why there were those issues even and how the the widows were treated because the ones who were coming out of the Hellenistic cultures were were Jewish by descent, but they lived differently, so they played it out differently. And we see that tension even in, you know, the epistles to the churches where you've got the churches have some who would be more Hellenistic, and they're 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 approaching things from a Greek point of view, and they might even be polytheistic. Uh, so they're they're allow, allowing the idea of multiple uh, gods and all these things you can worship and idolatry. And then you've got these rigid Jews who are way more toward the law. So they're they're pushing on. You've got to follow all these rules, and some that even really aren't even rooted in in the law. You know, so that that created this tension for these churches. Yeah, and imagine being somebody who came out of a polytheistic background, and now you've believed that Jesus Christ is the King, He's the Lord, He's the one that I'm going to follow, and you walk into this group where maybe they're not all sitting together, maybe they're treating each other differently because one comes from one society or another, and the culture breakdown would have been just dramatic. It, it makes me think about, you know, we don't really struggle with that anymore because I think the American church is pretty much sold out on that we're all Christian. But the problem is how to live out the Christian life is just as much a conversation today as it would have been back then, right? 
And so you look at some of these churches, you know, think of Laodicea, and we talked about the aqueducts in the sermon. Well, the aqueducts were put up because of the pursuit of health and art and culture. Uh, and, yeah, they, they, want to, they want to chase the pleasures of life. And what was amazing about Laodicea is as they chased the pleasures, by the time the water got to their city, it was lukewarm and nasty. And so no one wanted any of it. So why wouldn't Jesus say, you are lukewarm. I want to spit you out. He's speaking directly to who they are, what they're going through. And I think it's amazing that, that the book of Revelation preserves that idea for us so we can look at Laodicea and go, whoa, Jesus was calling them out exactly where they were with the cultural issues they had, saying something that made sense to them. Absolutely. Maybe it makes sense to us today a little bit, but not until we really step back and we think, think about that. You know, you talked about the Pergamum thing uh, in the sermon Go into that for just a second. You're talking about the throne of Satan thing. What is, what, what was that all about again? Do you remember? I mean, how crazy. To, first of all, to, to say you dwell where Satan's throne is. And, and again, that, that really referenced this idea, most likely referenced this idea that uh, the emperor worship was kicking in so much. And, and there was all of these um, I. Idols to worship and the and these uh, places of worship for the Roman gods and the myth, myth, Greek mythology, Greek mythology, all that sort of stuff, and and to call it the the throne of Satan really would suggest this idea again polytheism instead of your worship worshiping all these gods instead of worshiping the one true God and 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 how that had bled into their faith. Yeah, and think about that. I mean, if you've got a culture surrounding you that is so powerful and so strong that it's bleeding into the church, it's a dangerous place to be. Which might define where we are now. Man, it's almost as if these seven churches speak directly to us. Yeah. If only. Uh, Okay, obviously that was a very sarcastic comment. Uh, The last church that we talked about, well, we talked about seven, but we're just kind of pulling up three here for the the podcast. Uh, Philadelphia, one of the discussions we got into as we were talking through this sermon was, it was weird. That wasn't the actual name of the city. If if we're going with the late date of Revelation, which is what we're choosing to do, uh, Philadelphia had changed its name by that point. And so then the question became, multiple commentators pointed this out, why is he using an old name? And they said that suggests that it's an older book, you know, that it, it actually was written more around the 50 AD period uh, because it still held its, its original name of Philadelphia before it had its name changed, you know, shortly thereafter. But we both pointed out, I think there, there actually could be a strong case that John's fully aware of what the name used to be mm-hmm. and very full aware of what the name is now. But remember, he was talking to them about being loving well, then why doesn't he use the old name of the city? And he actually says to them, you used to be something, and now you're not what you used to be. What an amazing play on words. If the name used to be Philadelphia, which means city of brotherly love, and now you move forward a little bit and they've got a different name, and then he tells them, I want you to be more loving, and then he follows up with, man, if only you were what you used to be. Yeah, I, I think that's brilliant. And I think what Jesus is doing there is saying something to this messenger, this angel, I know exactly who you are. I'm fully aware, and I want to reach into where you're at, and I want to pull you out of that and push you to the next step. Yeah. Pretty cool. Very cool. So that's pretty much it. I mean, there's a ton going on with those seven churches. We didn't want to get to all of that, but we wanted to to bring you into our little world here of the Greco-Roman culture and kind of how that would have impacted these churches. And as you think about those ideas, you know, stop and just consider how does that impact us as a church? You know, our culture is pervasive. Uh, there's a lot of things that are great about America. There's a lot of things that are pretty pretty wrong about America that aren't very Christian. And on Sunday mornings, are we more American or are we more Christian? It's kind of the thought we wanted to, to leave you with. Yeah, good reminder of just how 
much culture affects our worldview. And our worldview then, if we try to look through the lens of our culture at the Word, we might be missing what the Word's really telling us. Mm-hmm.